You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. It takes a lot of hard work and guts to make it in Detroit, and no one knows that better than Carhartt. Since 1889, Carhartt's been making the toughest, most trusted gear for anyone who outworks them. Because from field to farm and all sites in between, Carhartt's got your back for whatever lies ahead. Hey, this is Spencer Torkelson. The Road to Detroit podcast starts right now. Here's your host, Dan Hasty. We love to celebrate the wins on this show. And I am going to admit to making a mistake. This is a process, and these are things that we kind of figure out as we go. But I try to trust the mainstream baseball prospect rankings. This was a mistake that I made. So what happened was I saw the Tigers had traded Daniel Norris, and immediately I sent out a tweet, and it was with the emoji of the guy going, hmm, you know, like the stroke your chin. (laughs) Hmm? Attached to that, the MLB pipeline top 30 prospects for the Milwaukee Brewers. What I failed to remember was the fact that some services – rank prospects, they don't update their rankings throughout the year. My first thought was, oh, let's find out what the top 30 prospects are. And instinctively, I went to Pipeline. So I go to Pipeline. I put the list up. I still don't know who the Tigers are getting. Then I start to see the tweets come in. Tigers acquire right-hander Reese Olsen, Reese Olsen, Reese Olsen, Reese Olsen. I'm like, okay, great. Let's see where he is. I'm flipping through Pipeline. Nowhere to be found. It's at that point where I said, all right, well, see you later, tweet. <laughs> but then I went to fan graphs, and I went to baseball prospectus. I went to some of the places that do in-season updates to their prospect rankings. And it was at that point where on fan graphs, I realized they had just done an update a few weeks ago. And who did they have sitting as their number seven prospect? Reese Olsen. Reese Olsen was the number seven prospect for the Milwaukee Brewers. If you're going to read tips on the stock market, are you going to read tips from today's newspaper? Or are you going to go read January 1st, 2021? I got suckered in. But the only prospect service that did a recent update to their rankings was Fangraphs. Tip of the cap to our friends at Fangraphs. It's real easy to say, oh, he's not top 30, he's not top 30, what are we doing? Hold on, just take a beat, step back, and let's wait. Because guess what happened? The moment he was put into those same rankings in the Tigers system on MLB Pipeline, he became the Tigers' number 13 prospect. And why? Because there wasn't a huge rankings update by Pipeline. And that's okay. But the one takeaway that I'm going to remind myself and I'm going to remind you right now, context matters. Not everything is a straight line. This is a Bayesian process. Reese Olsen was working his way into gaining prospect status at the beginning of this season. He figured a couple things out. He was looking 
very sharp right before the Tigers acquired him. Probably not a coincidence. And all of a sudden, you see this skill set, 22 years old, just turned 22, with really nasty stuff. And the truth is, is that the Tigers know how to develop pitching. That is the chef's special when you walk into the Tigers restaurant. So just remember, I will learn this along with you. Just because someone isn't listed on your go-to prospect sheet doesn't mean he's not a prospect at all. This is another edition of the Road to Detroit podcast presented by Carhartt. We are past the halfway point here in Season 2. Episode 9, as we celebrate one of the newest prospects in the Tigers minor league system, I'm Dan Hasty. Our producer is Nate Wangler. Welcome, Reese Olsen. July the 30th of the Major League Baseball trade deadline. As of the trade deadline this year, every single Major League team made at least one trade. And the one the Tigers made, sending Daniel Norris to the Milwaukee Brewers for 22-year-old Reese Olsen, a former 13th rounder in 2018 out of North Hall High School in Gainesville, Georgia. Played in 2019 in the Midwest League. He was a Wisconsin Timber Rattler. That was the low-A affiliate for the Brewers in 2019. And then when low-A became high-A, Olsen moved with the Timber Rattlers to become a high-A prospect. Now that he's in the Tigers system, it sounds like he'll start in West Michigan. Tigers general manager Al Avila has said he hopes to see Olsen finish the season with the Erie Seawolves. But overall, the numbers were good. 5-4, and four, a 4-30 ERA. Again, this is as a 21-year-old, so you're going up against players who are 2, 3, and 4 years older. 69 innings, 79 strikeouts. His stuff is said to be nasty. Excited to see him and how he responds later this week in West Michigan. That takes us to double-A, Brady Policelli, the double-A Northeast Player of the Week. He ended up going 9 for 24, three doubles, three home runs, six runs batted in. Talk about really making your hits count, but he's not just a good hitter. He's also wildly versatile. The former 13th rounder out of Towson has played every single defensive position on the diamond. The only thing he hasn't done is pitch. And back when he started out his career, way back in 2016, he was still adjusting to pro ball. And in his first year in the Tigers system, he actually suffered a gruesome thumb injury. Broke his thumb, had to have major surgery. I remember once upon a time, he actually showed us the pictures of that surgery. It looked like he had a couple of garden snakes attached to his hand. Hand injuries can really derail a career. But it did not for Brady Policelli. He's this week's AA Northwest Player of the Week. Congratulations to Brady Policelli. Meanwhile, things are getting interesting in the Florida Complex League. The Tigers' East and West squads are finally having their rosters filled out. Several of the Tigers' draftees in 2021 are making their way down to Lakeland, as is Isaac Pacheco. The shortstop out of Friendswood, Texas, started his professional career one for two with a run scored against the Yankees' complex team, another Duke catcher. Once upon a time, the Tigers were drafting Chris Proctor, who's been all over the minor league system. He's now in double-A Erie. But Mike Rothenberg was a 12th rounder by the Tigers this year. He has hit safely in three out of his first four games, a pair of doubles, four runs batted in already. So he gets promoted up to Lakeland. Meanwhile, in low-A, the Lakeland Flying Tigers split a six-game series with Jupiter. Jake Holton continues to hammer the baseball. Four for seven, a double, finished the series 
with his fourth home run before going two for four with a pair of RBIs in the series finale. As for catcher Eliezer Alfonso, a solo home run, he's already got five for Lakeland this year and a pair of runs batted in. His season has been really interesting. He spent the beginning of the year with West Michigan, had 38 games, hit just 226, did not hit a home run. As a matter of fact, he only had four doubles the entire time. Three of those came in one game. But then down in Lakeland, something has clicked. He's posting a slugging percentage that is more than double what he was posting during his time in West Michigan. So now he's gone to Lakeland, and he's figuring some things out offensively. Sometimes it's not where you figure it out, it's that you figure it out. Meanwhile, on the mound, Jack O'Loughlin, our friend from Sydney, Australia, finished the week allowing just two runs through nine and a third innings of work. He struck out 10 this year. He's 2-1, and one, a 2.65 ERA. Still think he's going to be in line for a promotion at some point this summer. Off to High A West Michigan. The Whitecaps got a series split against the High A Central Eastern Division leading Great Lakes Loons. Caps played pretty well last week. Eric De La Rosa, or EDLR. Isn't there a song that's called Going Down For Real and they shortened it to GDFR? That's what I thought. (laughs) But Eric De La Rosa, nine more hits, a double, a home run, a pair of runs batted in. Parker Meadows, he has had a steep learning curve in West Michigan in the low A ranks back in 2019, and now he's still learning at the high A level, still with West Michigan, after hitting just 129 in the month of May. Since the calendar turned to June, Parker Meadows hitting almost 260 with power. He's got all four of his home runs in the 32 games since the calendar turned to June. So that's a good sign for the Tigers' number 7 prospect. Daniel Cabrera, a seven-game hit streak this past week. He had a tough month of July. The Tigers' number five prospect out of Louisiana State. He ended up with three doubles, a triple, and a pair of home runs. And our buddy Jimmy Kerr, the former Michigan Wolverine. You remember him from the College World Series? He got promoted up to West Michigan, and all he's done is go on a five-game hit streak, a double, five runs batted in. At the University of Michigan, he was a run producer, and he has carried that over here to West Michigan. To AA Erie, the Seawolves won just one out of six against Akron, but Spencer Torkelson went eight out of 16, a pair of doubles and home run number 15. B-R-A-Y-A-N. This one swung on, hammer, deep left field, roller going back, looking up, that ball is gone. Touch of all time, Spencer Torkelson, number 10. And Erie takes a one to nothing lead with two outs here in the bottom of the first inning. Riley Green had a six-game hitting streak snapped on the 30th. He had a double and an RBI in the series against the Rubber Ducks. We mentioned Brady Palacelli, the double-A Northeast player of the week. Ryan Kreidler, the former fourth-round pick, has hit safely in three out of five games. A double, a pair of homers, and Bo Brisky. No, no, no. Bo Brisky got his first double-A start in game six against Akron, allowing just two runs through six innings while striking out four rubber ducks. Off to triple-A Toledo. The Mud Hens are in first place. Look out, Toledo. They won their series against the Omaha Storm Chasers. They chased them right out of Omaha, stealing four out of five on the road, and Cody Clemens helped them get there. That is kind of gray. More gray than it is black. Clemens drives one to right center. This ball is heading back, and this ball is gone. Wow. 
back to back go the hands. First it's Nunez, now it's Clemens, and a three nothing lead. Number eight for Cody, RBI 23. An eight game hitting streak for Cody, two doubles, a triple, and a pair of home runs. There's a look at the on-ramp. We'll also talk with Dan Hubbs, who was the former head baseball coach at USC. The Tigers hired him as their newly created director of pitching development and strategy. So basically what he does is he leverages data and technology to aid in growth and performance with the pitchers throughout every level of the Tigers minor league system. So from Casey Mize and Tarek Skubal at the top, all the way down to Jackson Job in the Florida Complex League. Dan Hubbs has a plan for all of them. We're going to find out a little bit more about his role and maybe his plans for some of those pitchers on their way up. Dan Hubbs joins the Road to Detroit podcast. But for now, our conversation with Tigers number 13 prospect, Reese Olsen. That conversation starts right now. The Road to Detroit podcast continues. Well, he is right now the most interesting man in the Tigers minor league system because we know nothing about Reese Olsen. He was acquired by the Tigers. Here's what we do know. He was acquired by the Tigers in exchange for Daniel Norris and has immediately become one of the Tigers' top prospects, currently ranking as high as number eight, according to fan graphs, number 13, according to MLB Pipeline. And this was after being unranked in the Brewer system. So he has had a nice 2021, and he joins us now. Reese, welcome to the Tigers. Yep, thank you for having me. Excited to be here. So what in the world has vaulted you up into this prospect status? Because I know you know you've always had this in the toolbox, but what about this year has been been able to help you show it off uh, I think just throwing a little bit harder and striking a few more guys out I think that's about it so now you're in the Tigers system so I have to ask you about what this was for you what the last couple of days have been like how is the trade deadline take me through what happened on Friday so I, I had no idea I was even being considered to be traded and I was actually I saw on Twitter and this is a funny story I saw on Twitter that uh, we were about to, the Brewers were about to acquire Daniel Norris. So I went to my roommate's room and was messing with him, saying he got traded for Daniel Norris. <laughs> Who was your roommate? His name is Brady Shanuel. Okay. Uh, and uh, I went and sat back down in the living room and refreshed my feed and saw it was actually me getting traded. That's how I found out on Twitter. Started freaking out. Just didn't know what to expect and started getting a bunch of phone calls a few minutes later. So what phone calls do you get at that point? So I talked... The first phone call I got was my family called me right away. And then a few minutes after that, the Brewers farm director called me, thanked me for everything, wished me luck. All that just let me know someone where the Tigers would be uh, contacting me soon. And then I talked with the Tigers GM. Um, El Avila. Yeah, correct. And then from there, it was just a few more hours, just waiting to find out what was going to happen. And then just got a bunch of flurry of phone calls, finding out where I was going to go and what was going to happen and everything like that. I'm sure you haven't been able to respond to all the text messages quite no, it's, yet. <laughs> it's been a lot. It's been a lot on, on every social media. Everyone wished me luck and everything. It's been good. What did Al Avila have to say? Uh, he just said how much the Tigers were excited to have me, just ready to get rolling, just excited to see what I can do. When it comes to a trade deadline, nobody ever thinks that they're the guy that's going to be going the other way in a trade. So now that you've lived this experience, what have you learned about going through this process? I, mean, I definitely didn't know what to expect after the trade happens. It's just a lot of not knowing, especially going from one organization to another, what the differences are going to be, especially meeting all the new guys and everything, just leaving all the buddies I made. But I don't know. It's 
it's just kind of a crazy experience. So now you're with the Tigers. You've had a chance to meet some teammates here with West Michigan. And these are guys that you have played against a little bit. You pitched against them back in 2019. I think you may have played against them earlier this year as well. What do you remember about when you played against West Michigan? Uh, they touched me up for a few runs. I think I gave up two homers, one to Packard and one to Rivera. But I don't know. I just, that was a while ago. I just remember, I don't know, being, being excited. It was, it was the beginning of the year, just... Uh, they, they did touch me up for a few, though. Mm-hmm. So what happened from that point to where you ended up? Because the numbers really, really improved as the season went up. Right. I think just the big thing, just after having the year off, not pitching at all, just trying to get back in the groove of things, just knocking the rest off and just getting back into it. How comfortable are you now? Because when you don't pitch for a whole season, you've got to find a way to keep yourself fresh. Right. I mean, definitely going from no innings in 2020 to I think now I'm out about 70. It's just... I mean, body feels good right now, especially having this little extended time off between starts, but I'm ready to get rolling. We're talking with Reese Olsen, the new Tigers number 13 prospect. How crazy is it to not see yourself on a prospect ranking sheet and then all of a sudden everyone kind of goes, oh, wait, those numbers are pretty good. And all of a sudden you're in the top 15. Yeah, I mean, I try, try to not look at those things, just, but I mean, it's definitely exciting to be thought of that highly by those few guys that put out those rankings, but... I mean, I didn't really expect it. I just saw on Twitter, I refreshed my feed again and saw my face again and then saw myself on the Tigers list. I mean, it's just exciting. Why do players like yourselves, why do you guys try to stay away from all that? I don't know. Just try to focus on your performance and not what everyone else is saying about you. Just focus on what you can do. We're talking with Reese Olsen. You have yourself here. You have a chance to pitch in this monster pitcher's ballpark. You've been playing in a bandbox for like a year and a half now. You saw the dimensions. How do you feel about playing not only in West Michigan, but knowing that Comerica Park looks a lot similar to this? I mean, that's awesome for me, especially. I don't know. It's, I mean, it's exciting just going. I don't know. It's, it's cool to see different parks and stuff. So it's cool to be here. What would you give us as a scouting report on yourself? Uh, what pitches? Let's start with that. Yeah, so fastball, obviously, and then change-up slider curveball. In that my, order? Yeah, well, I'd probably say my change-up's my best pitch, but mm. I, try, I tend to throw a lot of those. Mm. And then how fast would you say that you would like to live in from a velocity standpoint? Uh, usually 93, 95 will touch a six, six okay. or two throughout the games. Okay. And how soon in a start do you know you've got it working? Uh, pretty much from pitch one, just really? in, in the bullpen, just seeing how everything's moving that day and how well my body feels that day is pretty quick. How excited are you to start working with a couple of new catchers? I mean, I know there's value and familiarity, but you get a chance to work with a whole new group, and whether it's Cooper Johnson in West Michigan or if it's Dylan Dingler in Erie, you get a chance to work with a couple of new guys. No, it's definitely exciting to see the way different catchers handle the games and the way, how, they, how they call the games. I'm excited, excited to see how those guys do it. When Alavila called you, I'm wondering if he said the same thing to you as he said after the trade to reporters in Detroit, talking about how the idea is to get you acclimated to the Tigers system, give you a couple of starts here in West Michigan with an intent to getting you up to double A. Did he tell you anything about that? Uh, he, I mean, he, he mentioned that. I don't know. I just try to, I'm just going to try to focus on one start at a time. Just, just try to perform well on those starts, and then whatever happens later happens. What kind of things do you want to build off of from what you did towards the end of your time in Wisconsin and now carry that over here? I think the biggest thing for me is just throwing more strikes and commanding the ball wetter and limiting the walks is the biggest thing for me. 
How do you deal with that on days when you're not able to limit them or maybe you don't have the stuff that you need? Because now you've been able to pitch for a couple of years now. So I would guess that you've learned a couple of mental tips or tricks to find a way to maybe get by without your A-grade stuff. I mean, you just got to, some days are going to be like that. You just got to grind through it, take a deep breath and just keep grinding. Well, again, congratulations, Reese. I know a lot of people are really, really excited to have you. I know they're looking forward to you here in West Michigan. This has to be exciting for you and for your family as well. And thank you so much for joining us here on the Road to Detroit podcast. Yes, sir. Thank you very much. That is Reese Olson right here on the Road to Detroit. It's now time for best in class. Of all the players in the Tigers minor league system, this one made the most noise. Palacelli shoots one deep to left. Does this have enough? Benson at the warning track, at the wall. That ball is gone. Touch of all time, Brady Palacelli, his second of the year. Erie leads it 2-0 here in the second inning. We told you a lot about Brady Palacelli at the very beginning of this episode of The Road to Detroit. And look, he's never been a player that has appeared on a top 30 prospect list. But that doesn't mean that he couldn't be a big leaguer. He's 26 years old. He can play catcher, first base, second base, shortstop, third base, any of the outfield positions. And because he's a professional baseball player, I'm certain that he's pitched at some point in his life. He's always flashed power, speed, the ability to hit for a decent average, draw a couple of walks. And because of his versatility, he is a manager's dream. You can pencil him in at just about any position there's not a coach out there who doesn't like having a guy like Brady Policelli. What has A.J. Hinch been preaching pretty much ever since he's gotten to Detroit? He wants guys who are versatile. He wants guys who can move around, play different positions, and not skip a beat. Well, that describes Brady Policelli to a T. He's this week's best in class. Now over to find out who gets the Dylan Rosa Award. Uh, Nate, do you know who is getting this week's Rosa Cody Clemens will be accepting this week's Rosa, if I can get to him in time, that is. That, that, that's true. You're actually leaving here to go hand-deliver the Rosa. Yes, 100%. Back in 2019, Cody was a little slow to end the season with the Erie Seawolves. He was a 170 hitter through 47 ABs. But we talked about this back in 2019, Dan. You said he was one hot streak away from wearing the old English D on his chest and it seems like he's finally getting to that point. Eight-game hitting streak right now, two doubles, a triple, a pair of home runs, and he's doing everything that you exactly expect out of him. We talk a lot about the Tigers needing someone super athletic back up the middle who has a good bat. Why not Cody Clemens? I think he's one small step away in being a major contributing factor up in Detroit. Cody Clemens will be accepting this week's Dylan Rosa Award. You know what? Part of me would not have been surprised had we seen Cody Clemens up in Detroit by now. But he's showing what we have needed to see from him in the AAA ranks, and he really has caught fire this month. The month of July was great to Cody Clemens. He played 22 games. He drew 11 walks. He had 13 runs batted in. And, oh, yeah, he had 12 extra base hits in 22 games, including five home runs. So now we're starting to see Cody Clemens do as a second baseman what we figured he was capable of doing, and that was be a very effective offensive second baseman. If he can do that, he will find a spot up in Detroit, just a matter of when. Congratulations to Cody Clemens. He's this week's winner of the Dylan Rosa Award. He will accept this rose uh, as Nate Wangler waits for Cody to get off the plane at the airport. Will you accept this? What Good. if he doesn't? What if he turns me down? <laughs> what if he turns you down is a fair question. 
I have. I don't think you've had anybody say no yet. <laughs> Come on, I came all the way here, and you're gonna say no. <laughs> you look over, and you're like, Throw it on you're, the ground. you're like, uh, Jacoby Jones, will you accept this, Rosa? <laughs> The Road to Detroit podcast rolls on. Dan Hubbs, the Detroit Tigers Director of Pitching Development and Strategy. He is somebody that works very closely with everybody who comes through the Tigers minor league system. And there are a few people as important at fine-tuning the pitchers that you eventually see at Comerica Park. And in some cases, some you're already seeing at Comerica Park. Dan Hubbs joins us now. Dan, welcome. Glad to have you. Good to see you in West Michigan, by the way. Appreciate it. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, so we finally get you out here to West Michigan. And, you know, we, we look at your resume, of course, a long career in professional baseball. And then, of course, at the college ranks. You, you've spent a lifetime in the game, seven seasons as a head coach at USC. But what's interesting now is the Tigers basically carve out this specialty role just for you. So I'm dying to know, when did data, which is obviously a, a huge forte of yours, start piquing your interest? Or has this been a lifelong passion? Well, I think it's been a lifelong kind of thing. I mean, you know, before we had metrics on the pitches, um, you know, coaching or playing even, I was kind of a stat rat. And, you know, you'd always look at versus right versus left, what guys did in different counts. Uh, trying to get an edge any way you could on the mound. And I think it was only a natural progression as more and more stuff became available that I dug into it a little bit more and trying to figure out how we could pitch better, whether it's in college or now in professional baseball, how each guy individually can enhance their stuff, understand where their pitches play. Um, I think I told you the other day, it's, it's now we have... Uh, the ability to be more objective rather than subjective when we're coaching players, meaning that before I was just told us and in in your relationship with the player um, is how you made adjustments and how you did things. And now the data we get validate or validates a lot of what our eyes are telling us. And we can tell kids now without a doubt where their pitches play best, um, what we need to work on, and a lot of it is the same as what we've been telling them all along, but now we have more information that we can give them to help them become the best version of themselves moving forward. There have been a lot of advancements in the technology aspect for your job, but I'm curious from your perspective, what pieces of technology would you consider to be the game changers in this industry? Well, I think when, when TrackMan and now Hawkeye and those things that they came available you got to see in game more than just on the side um, what's hawkeye by the way so hawkeye is another pitch tracking um type system that they use at the major leagues and they have it in the what used to be the florida state league at all those parks is it has i forget how many cameras but it gives you even more ability to see the pitch in flight from out of hand to the plate, it, you can see the exit, where it goes, how it goes. You can see, I mean, you can you can see the players, the stat cast, everything you see in stat cast, whether you, it's the distance that a guy runs, it's where the ball lands, it's any of those you can see in Hawkeye now. And, and TrackMan is another valuable one that they have at virtually every minor league park and gives you a lot of pitch metrics. It gives you the exit velocity, it gives you distance, but it's all, Kind of uh, the difference, I think, is the number of cameras that they use. One's a radar, one's more optical. Uh, but I think getting in-game data was huge 
for the development. I think the other thing is now the advent of these slow, high-speed cameras, edutronic cameras that we're using where we can see the ball come right out of a kid's hand in super slow motion and see how the ball comes off their fingers. It's easier to make adjustments. And basically what happens is the player is able to see it in super slow motion, how the ball's coming off his fingers. Cause in the old times, you know, sometimes it would almost click through the actual you'd lose release the frame. and you'd lose the frame. And now you don't lose the frame. Um, and the, and the guy can see it. You can overlay it with, you know, fastball breaking ball to see any differences. But when you're trying to work on a specific pitch to get a specific movement, I think the advent of the, the Edgertronic camera has been huge in terms of the development of the players. And I know you haven't been here long. In fact, you being here probably represents the Tigers, their effort to catch up in the analytics game to a certain extent. You know, they made an entirely new role for you. So clearly they thought you would bring something new to this franchise. What kind of things would you guess they were? Well, I think uh, a combination of things. I mean, I think 20 years in college baseball where you're dealing with a lot of 18 to 22-year-olds, and um, I think they're wanting to really ramp forward on the player development side using the technology and helping to train the different coaches in the technology. We have a lot of great coaches in this organization who just maybe haven't been exposed as much. And I think one of the things when I was talking to the front office when this opportunity came about was, you know, it used to be that college was where you got to tinker and you'd try anything because you didn't have a trade deadline, you didn't have a draft, you had your recruiting class, but then you had what you had and you had them for three or four years. And you had to figure out ways to make guys better from year to year and get them to improve. And so you would you would explore every avenue to get someone better, whether it was using a barrel to throw into, whether it was using the strings, whether it was using video, Rapsodo. I think the colleges uh, really got into the Rapsodo track man well before the pro game did. And so being exposed to it for as long as I had, I think that was a value. I think now we're drafting more and more players who are exposed to this when they come into the system and they're, they're begging for it. They're asking for information. And the more we can give them the information, the more we can uh, disseminate the information for them and simplify it is really what it is. Because, you know, I equate it to the internet is a really good thing because there's a lot of information on it and you can find out a lot of things. The information, you know, but the internet is also a bad thing because there's a lot of information on it. And if you don't know what you're looking at, you can, you can disseminate it the wrong way. I think the same thing with data analytics is that I think if you know a piece of it, it can be really dangerous because you just think that's the be all end all. And the ones that do it the best is there's, there's the, the eye test, there's the analytic test, there's a performance test. And you know people talk old school versus new school. Really it's a balance and blending of the both in order to, I think, take the organization where we want it to go. You need to get players to buy into this. And I liked what you said about it being objective rather than subjective. But just as important, you need coaches that can teach it. Talk to me about how Chris Fetter is able to relay this information at the big league level. Well, I think just like anything else, he has a lot of players that have been exposed to data and 
gradually over the last few years, the, the Tigers have really invested in doing it. And I think one thing Fed has really done well and one thing he does extremely well is he understands both sides of it, meaning he understands the mechanics, he understands what you need to do to be successful, just let's say old school wise. And he is brilliant at the new school part of it with the technology, with the analytics, with how the pitches move, how they play off of each other. And I think he has a good way of being able to describe that to his players. He did it as a coordinator with the Dodgers. He did it as a pitching coach at Michigan. And now he's doing it as the pitching coach in Detroit. And then being able to put that in, I guess, simplify it so that as we go down the system, we can relay that information to our coaches who then relay it to the players, or we just relay it to the players, you know, ourselves. But I think we're trying to make this a seamless transition from the big leagues to the Dominican Summer League mm -hmm. and, and make it so the, the themes are the same, you know, what you're hearing in Detroit, you're hearing in the Dominican, you're hearing in the Florida Gulf Coast League, you're hearing in Lakeland, West Michigan, Erie, Toledo, all the way up. So there's no miscommunication. Everybody has the same information. We're all training them the same way. Um, and then at the end of the day, it all comes down to execution, right? I mean, the analytics are all great, but then you got to be able to put the ball where you want to. And so that's where the mechanics come in. That's where the development of, let's say, the old school, the bullpen and and working on that. But then we have now more tools in our toolbox to coach these kids up. Dan Hubbs, the Detroit Tigers Director of Pitching Development and Strategy is joining us here on the RTD. You know, and in terms of the data and the technology that matters, I think it's fair to say that one of your jobs is keeping everyone on the same page, kind of like what you talked about, but I'd almost take it a step farther. Is it fair to say that you and Chris Fetter kind of feed off one another? Well, I think that the communication is key, where we'll ask whether it's myself or AJ Sager, our pitching coordinator, we'll be in contact with Fat or Juan Nieves, the bullpen coach, and you know, what are you seeing when the guys go up? What do we need to continue to work on so that our guys are the most prepared when they step foot in Comerica Park? Because at the end of the day, that's the most important thing. How can we get these guys ready so they're not overwhelmed, they're able to execute pitches, uh, whether it's in Comerica, or you know, in Lakeland, it doesn't make a difference. It's still pitching, the mound is still 60 feet, six inches away, it's still 10 inches off the ground. It's more about how can we slow the game down for them? Can they throw multiple pitches for strikes uh, to be able to minimize their, the number of pitches per at bat? How can, do they understand how their pitches play? Um, and we all recognize that there's a, there's a jump every level you go and and then getting them to understand that, hey, this is where you need to be really good. And then you have to be able to pitch a multitude of ways. And, and so early on, it may be getting to know yourself. So in Lakeland, it may be about where do you need to learn how to throw your fastball? And then what pitch can we throw interchangeably with that? Then we get to West Michigan and it may be a little bit of the same. And then it's like, okay, what pitch is gonna get a ground ball? What pitch is getting your swing and miss? And then we get to Erie and then it'll be even more information they're gonna get the same information that they get in Detroit because they're a little bit more advanced. And then it's gonna be, okay, now how does all your stuff play against the hitter's weakness? And how are we gonna expose their weakness on a daily basis? And it changes from guy to guy. You know, you may have um, a guy, let's say like Brandon White that, that's here. He's a big sinker slider guy, but he has what we call low vertical approach angle. And so 
his fastball four seam plays really well at the top of the zone. And so with two strikes, he can get a lot of swing and misses. Is he using it enough? You know, when does he throw his change? And then starting to mix those things in. And then because you may have a guy who crushes balls down in the zone and he may need to go three times up in the zone with a fastball because his ball plays there. Um, sometimes you're going to only need to go with your strength versus a guy's strength and you just have to be better than him. But there's a lot of different ways that we can exploit hitters with the data that we have and the information that we have. And then it's teaching these guys how their stuff plays, when to use them, and what counts, what do they do best with. And if we can do that and they get to know themselves, then I think they're going to have more success along the way. So I'm going to go farther back because I, I know that, and this was before you enter the Tigers organization. So as a coach at a preeminent college baseball program such as a USC, you probably understood that different major league teams had a type, in quotes. They had a type of player that they wanted. And for years, the Tigers were considered to be the college arm who throws really hard, right-handed pitcher. A lot of times it seemingly came from Vanderbilt. But, you know, you got a chance to see what the Tigers type was while it was the previous regime. Now, you guys maybe have a little bit of a different type. How would you characterize what your type is now? Well, I think the type we want um, overall is we're looking for real athletic movers who obviously stuff is a, still a big part of it. You know, do they throw hard, but can they spin it? You know, so we start looking a little bit more at the spin like everybody else does. And, you know, what kind of breaking ball do they have? How do their stuff play off of each other? You know, depending on where they came from, whether high school, college. Um, but a lot of it is you're seeing... Uh, we drafted a lot of guys who can really spin it. Breaking ball was a big part of it, I think. Um, you know, but we have a lot of big-armed pitchers that are coming in, but who can also spin the ball. And I think, you know, it's a more well-rounded pitcher. And I'm not saying that it wasn't before, necessarily. You know, they've had a lot of success for a lot of years. I mean, you think about those years that that Leland had where they were just mowing people down and granted they had great offenses, but you look at some of the Porcellos, the Verlanders, the Scherzers that they had in the system coming through, the Annabelle Sanchez's, you know, you're looking at some guys who had plus stuff, but who could also do a lot of different things with the baseball. So I don't know that it's necessarily completely different. I just think there's um, even more of a, an eye towards a combination of what does their ball do metrically along with what your eyes tell you with the scouts when they go out there. Does athleticism tend to equal spin rate or improve spin rate? Not necessarily. I mean, I just think that you have a real athletic pitcher, let's say Jackson Job for, for say, real athletic was a shortstop mainly until a couple of years ago. And, and, um, and obviously he has plus stuff. He has a spin rate on his slider over 3,000. He has a really good spin rate on the fastball. He touches 99 miles an hour. I mean, but you're looking at a guy who is a strike thrower with plus stuff. He's a big time mover. I think the athleticism leads to more strikes generally uh, because it doesn't have to be as much of a max effort type thrower. Um, he profiles as a starter because of it. And I think that's what we were looking for is guys who can, that may profile as starters down the road. And, and I think the athleticism leads to that. And I couldn't be happier with our draft this year. I mean, I think the scouts and Scott Pleiss and, and his group I think the guys they're bringing in are the guys that we're looking for moving forward. You talked about Jackson Job, and you know this is an area for you because 
you go from Casey Mize and Tarek Skubal at the major leagues all the way down to Jackson Job in the Florida Complex League. With the pandemic having been so fresh in all of our minds and with guys like, for example, your second first round pick, Ty Madden, who threw a ton of innings at Texas, how do you navigate how you decide to, or in some cases, maybe like Madden's, to not use pitchers to finish out this season? Well, a lot of the guys are going to be out of innings. They just are. I mean, um, they've, they went from, let's say, 20 to, in Ty's case, 113 innings. And, and so, you know, you won't see him in, in a game this, this summer or, you know, fall. But I think there's a lot of things we can do in terms of education, in terms of, um, you know, he may be off the mound at the end of August throwing a couple pins where we can get more data on him and, and start that process. So when he goes into the offseason, he has a plan. So this year's, this summer is not wasted for him. Uh, bright kid, I've talked to him, and, and he's another guy who wants information. He's come from a place at Texas where he had a lot of information. And so whether it's mechanically with video that we can go over with him when we're in Lakeland, whether it's the data and showing him how his pitches play off of each other, um, whether it's, hey, maybe there will be things where he's on the rubber. It could be a lot of different things that we work on. but. At the end of the day, we want to have individual plans for each player moving forward. So in the offseason, they know exactly what we want them doing. So then when they come in February to spring training, they've had a plan, whether it's from the athletic training side, whether it's from the strength and conditioning side, whether it's from the pitching side, that they can put their best foot forward and hit the ground running next year. I think Ty Madden is a really fascinating case. We had him on this podcast just a couple of weeks ago. And one of the things that we would read is that he fell in the draft. And one of the reasons was because of his fastball and maybe playing it up in the zone versus playing it down in the zone. I feel like this is where you guys step in. How do you guys work within a situation like that? Because if Ty Madden has a fastball that plays great up in the zone, you probably don't ever get a chance to work with him. Well, that, that could be true, and you know, and so I think when you look at him metrically, he does have a lot of exciting things about him. You know, ninety-four to ninety-nine, and he has a twenty-inch, you know, vertical movement on the fastball, which says that maybe you should play at the top. But he also has a pretty steep vertical release angle, and so now you're talking about maybe that's why it doesn't, and it plays down in the zone. And there could be some deception things that we have to look at. But there's, it'll be a collaborative effort from FET all the way down that we all kind of collaborate to figure out what is going to be the best thing for Ty Madden moving forward to help the Tigers. And, you know, it'll be a lot of work between, like I said, Fett, Juan Nieves, A.J. Sager, Jorge Cordova, myself, all the pitching coaches throughout that he has in the minor leagues to develop the right plan so that he's a quick mover because he has the stuff to be a quick mover. We're excited about uh, the potential. We were uh, we were really excited that he was there. And... Um, and so it'll be a lot of fun to start working with him. How excited are you to start working with Jackson Joe? I'm real excited about Jackson also. Obviously, um, you know, I think the scouting department did an unbelievable job with him and, and just identifying that he was the guy we wanted to take. I mean, once again, he's a really, really, really athletic guy who throws a ton of strikes with plus-plus stuff. And... You know, the key for Jackson's going to be, you know, as he advances, just kind of not trying to do more at every level he goes, just be himself. And and then we'll start to work on the plan on um, command and where his pitches play and, and all those sorts of things, but really try and get him into the system and get him moving because um, 
He's a great kid. I've had a chance to talk to him already. Bright kid. He understands some of the data already and how his things work. And, and it'll be just refining that. Because, like I said, I mean, you look at his stuff and it's as good as any, I think, that a lot of people have seen in high school in a while. So um, it'll, be, it'll be a lot of fun to get him when we can start seeing him compete next year. Um, because I do think, you know, it might be a little bit at the end, but it might also have to wait until next year where people actually get to see him on the mound. But um, he's going to be a lot of fun to work with, I can tell you that right now. So maybe we will see Jackson Job at some point pitch in a game this summer, but maybe think, not many innings. And I don't think that's been determined yet. we got to see as we ramp him up uh, where we're at. I don't think anything's off the table yet with him, but I would assume that if, if he does, it won't be many innings at all. Um, and then we just have to figure out the risk-reward on that. So you're telling me the scouts who talked about him, and we had them on this show as well, who were putting 70s on his pitches or maybe even 80s on some. You're telling me these guys maybe not that far off. Well, when you look at them analytically, I'm saying they're not that far off, um, and they've seen him in person. And, and so I'm just looking forward to getting to work with him in person and, and seeing him and watching how he moves in person because like i said it's it's pretty special on video in terms of watching him move but like anything you know the proof is in the pudding when you go out there and compete and um i don't think he's going to shy away from anything i think he's excited to be a tiger and um i'm like i said i i'm just i'm looking forward to seeing all these guys in their development over the next couple years last one before we let you go and thanks for taking some time with us here today I'd be remiss if we didn't talk about the big leagues because what's happening with the pitchers at the big leagues, the Casey Mises, the Tarek Scoobles of the world, I like to think of them as a selling point to some of the other guys throughout the system because, I mean, Casey Mize, I mean, he, he had an ERA of seven back in 2020 and all of a sudden now it's under three and a half and Tarek Scoobles' strikeout rate has gone through the roof. So, you know, when looking at those guys at the top, did either of them fine-tune anything in particular over the past year that has led them to this point? Well, I think both of them, a lot of it is just getting used to being in the big leagues. I mean, at the end of the day, the big leagues is really difficult. And, you know, you got to remember both those kids had no chance to really compete against another team all last year. And then they were competing in the major leagues and, and holding their own for the most part. I think one thing has happened is that Fett's given them a really good plan individually. Um, they've been working on it, you know, those guys individually with Fett and Juan. And, um, and I think that they've obviously they're tweaking stuff as they go, whether it's sliding over on the rubber a little bit to maybe give a little bit more deception, whether it's changing a grip, it's maybe it's your pitch usage. And I think those are all things that we're, we're implementing in the minor leagues that once again, I think this is one of those things that Fed is really good at and is seeing how they play. I think they've done an amazing job, the two of them, Fed and Juan, in terms of pitch plan versus each team and then having the guys buy into where they need to throw their stuff. And as they see success, then there's more and more buy-in about what your stuff does, where it plays. I mean, I know in my talks with some of the guys in the minor leagues, they were surprised. They're, you know, you're telling them not to throw this one pitch as much, and they think that's their best pitch, and you're telling them, no, that's your third best pitch. Mm-hmm. And I think the same thing's happening in the major leagues with those guys is that they're seeing that, you know, maybe some of those unorthodox things, like maybe you're throwing a two-seamer at the top of the zone when before you thought, I only threw my two-seamer down in the zone, and it's really more of a horizontal pitch than a pitch with depth, so maybe it plays better at the top. And and having those things, where do you get your ground balls? Where do you get your swing and misses against each individual type of hitter? 
and the more and more they're learning, um, they're at the highest level for a reason because for the most part they can execute pitches with plus stuff. And and I think that's what you're seeing with Tarek too is that, you know, Casey, there's no doubt in my mind that as he got more and more idea of where he needed to throw each pitch, his fastball command has gotten extremely better. Um, you know, in terms of both the four seam and the two seam, how he uses pitches is the, the fact that some days he's going to have a split and some days he's not, and he's going to use a slider more. Um, he might be running a fastball in on right-handers, and the other time he might be throwing four seamers away. You just – he has a lot of different weapons to beat you with. With Tarek, it's kind of the same thing. When he can throw his fastball in and the slider to the back foot, and then is he's commanding the arm side a little bit better. And um, I think the pitch planning has a lot to do with it. I think – their ability to continue to develop and not just say, okay, go get them and here's the plan. And I think that they're working really hard at developing each of these guys individually. Um, and like I said, it could be as simple as sliding them a little bit on the rubber. It could be the different tools are might be working with strings so they give a visual when they're throwing bullpens. But I think the preparation that's going into their planning, the preparation that's going into their work on their sides, I think that's part of the thing that you're seeing in the development of these guys. And I think it was, um, it was just a matter of time for a lot of these guys that are there um, to make that jump. I mean, I think along with, you know, Mize and Schoolboy, you're seeing the jump that Funk made, you know, in terms of Kyle Funkhauser this year. And mm -hmm. he went from, you know, where he had about a six ERA in the big leagues last year, and he's become a leverage reliever. And you see the jump that Fulmer's made as he went to the bullpen. And, and what some of these guys are doing on a consistent basis. And the, you know, that Soto has made a jump, and Cisneros made a jump, and Alexander's made a jump. And, and when you start talking about the, the number of guys that are making jumps, it's pretty impressive to see because you don't always see that at the big league level. A lot no, of times they may never. have to dive down, and then they make their – tinkering in Toledo and then they go back up well right now you're seeing that they're making improvements on a game-to-game -game basis in Detroit and I think that's a testament to the players we have and I think it's a testament to the pitching department in the major leagues and I think also where we're moving in the minor leagues and and how we're developing these guys as they get to Detroit so is it fair to say that what Casey Mize and Tarek Skubal were last year is kind of what Matt Manning is dealing with this year I think there's no doubt about that. I think that you look at Matt's development and and he was another guy who he's learning how to get major league hitters out on a consistent basis. And you look at, if you go start by start by start by start with Matt and you look at his development up until this last start against Baltimore, I think his start against Baltimore might have been his best start overall in terms of pitch execution, his ability to throw to a plan, um, and I think that comes with, you know, some guys, they're gonna pitch their way to the big leagues and then they're gonna learn how to get major league hitters out, but you can only learn how to get major league hitters out in the major leagues. There's no, there's no comparable level to learn how to get those guys out. Sometimes you just have to do it where you may have a game where you get your teeth knocked in and then how do you respond to that? And I think one more thing with Matt is he's responded very well um, he's been competitive. He's been, you know, what we expect out of Matt. And he's going to continue to learn. And you're going to start seeing, I think, the strikeouts increase as he gets more comfortable with pitch execution. Uh, but I think he's more than held his own in his time in Detroit so far. 
And you know what? A lot of people that wanted to see Matt Manning up in the big leagues really appreciate the fact that this is the only place you can learn how to get big league hitters out. So, Dan Hubs, thank you so much for taking some time with us. This is really interesting. I think we could have done a double this long of a conversation considering just how much of a background you have on this. And I think a lot of people appreciate being able to hear from you, and I know we do too. Thank you so much for joining us here on the road to Detroit. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. It's now time for the road ahead. The Lakeland Flying Tigers return home six games against Daytona. While West Michigan comes back, they host the Dayton Dragons. And they will likely have Reese Olsen on the mound during one of the games of that six-day, seven-game series. They've got a doubleheader on Friday night. As for Erie, the Seawolves face Harrisburg, a six-game set, as the Seawolves try to get back on the right track in Pennsylvania, while Toledo heads to the country music capital of the U.S. for a six-day, seven-game series against the Nashville Sounds. One of the things we try to do on this show is never stop learning. We try to keep this as an evolving process. We try to stay open-minded, and we try to give you the perspective of an organization that's trying to build a contender. They're not all done the exact same way. Sometimes things will get done that will surprise you. Sometimes they'll surprise us, too. The only place that you'll hear the justification is right here on the road to Detroit. One of my favorite moments was hearing Scott Place, the Tigers' director of amateur scouting, tell us that they, in fact, had Jackson Job as the number one overall player on their draft board. I also loved last episode, episode eight, when Jackson said, I wish I would have known that beforehand. I would have gotten a lot more sleep. This week, our thanks to Dan Hubbs, the Tigers' Director of Pitching Development and Strategy, and also our thanks to Reese Olson for spending some time with us here on the Road to Detroit podcast presented by Carhartt. Here's the thing. If you pressed play on this podcast, you're an enlightened Tigers fan. You have an understanding for player development and minor league baseball and instant credibility. When someone tells you that there's no way Jackson Job was number one on the Tigers board, send them that episode. So a couple things for next week. I think next week will be a good week to do our next edition of the RTD Mailbag. So make sure you get your questions in. We'll check them out on Twitter. Feel free to message them to us. You can find me on Twitter at ThatDanHasty. We'll read your questions next week. And always remember, you have one job. Hit the subscribe button. Make sure you're locked into the RTD. Make sure you're an official passenger here on the road to Detroit. That's it, and that's all for Episode 9 here in Season 2 of the Road to Detroit podcast presented by Carhartt. We'll be back next week with another edition of the RTD. But until then, see ya! No one's been part of more first days of work than Carhartt. And in the same way rookies have to keep earning respect, Carhartt never stops earning the respect of hardworking people like you. From building rugged gear that's tougher than any first day or worst day of work, to re-engineering the classics to outwork the future. Trust your Carhartts to keep doing their job, long after you've been doing yours. Since 1889, Carhartt's got your back 24-7. Visit Carhartt.com or visit a retail store near you. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story and one of the best 
stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion championship team.